we've been in a series called The Why Behind the What. You know, Jesus is going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In fact, Matthew 4.23 tells us the setup of what Matthew tells us in chapters 5, 6, and 7. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, which is Jewish churches, and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And so he then, Matthew, the writer you know, of Jesus' uh, ministry, then spends three chapters telling us what that good news is his love, his purpose, his kingdom that would be different than what we might experience in our world. And so it's been an incredible series so far, and it's going to be challenging, but also hopefully, you know, enriching and enlightening today as well. So let me start with this. How do you view your life? How do you view God and the world around you? Uh, Most of us, the first time we view things is primarily through our senses, you know, with uh, uh, eyesight, with hear, with taste, with touch, et cetera, et cetera, with smell, actually being one of the strongest ones. And if someone can't, has the inability physically uh, to can't see or they can't hear, the other senses that God gives us gets heightened for them to view and experience the world in that way. But what I want to do today is focus for much of our time together on actually our sight, specifically our eyes. Process with me for just a second. What you see shapes so much of the world around you or enhances or presents a different perspective. What I mean by that is uh, you can go back to 9-11 and you might have heard a lot of things that took place on 9-11, which made an impact. But when you and I saw what happened, it took it to a whole other level. It's another thing when you hear someone talk about or describe a beautiful sunset or an incredible vacation spot but it's a whole different impact when you actually get to see it for yourself. There's something powerful about our eyes. Here's what's also fascinating, how important the eye is when it comes to communication, when it comes to understanding. Let me give you two quick examples. Have you ever said this to a child? Look at me when I'm talking to you. (laughs) Right? Actually, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever if you think about it. Because you want the child to hear for the sake of understanding. So wouldn't it be better said, attune your ears to me when I talk to you? But that's not what we say. We say, look at me. That there's something important about when we're trying to communicate to someone else of them looking at us when we're talking. Uh, We know this instinctively when uh, you're having a conversation with someone and they might be able to repeat back to you word for word what you just said. But while you're talking to them, they're, they're looking at their eye watch. You know, they're glancing at the phone. They're looking beyond at, you know, something else. And you're just like, hello, are you listening? And even though they say exactly what you just said, you feel at least, at least a level of disrespect. If not, I really don't know how much they're hearing, even though they might be saying that they're listening. Or what about the opposite? Uh, you, you can have a spouse, a best friend, a child, and you might not say but a few words. But have you ever had those moments where you just look deep into a person's eyes? and they look back at you, and no word would actually be able to do justice for how you're actually communicating in that way. You see, here's what we instinctively know that actually has now been recently, within the last decade or so, has been proven by science, which once again, the Bible has already known for thousands of years, and that is the eye is the window to the soul. How many of you guys have heard that before? Okay, Uh, you know the origin of that saying is actually from the Bible, and we're going to look at that in just a second. Now, men, I want to talk to you for just a second. It's a little warning advice. I've gone down this road probably numerous times. The scariest thing that a woman can tell you and that you believe is when you ask them how they're doing and their answer is fine. 
Now, to your ears, you might say, yeah, that sounds like they're fine. Now, even you look over and their body language communicates they're fine. But let me be one to tell you over and over and over, you need to look at a woman's eyes to know if she's really fine because she's not, she's lying to you. Okay, and you're gonna pay a price later because you didn't care enough to stop and have a conversation that you were actually oblivious about in the midst of that. Okay, enough about my own life. Let's kind of go on from here. (laughs) Our eyes really are windows to the soul. They communicate what's really going on inside of us. You can hide, especially those of you guys who've got good poker faces, a lot of what's really going on. But if someone takes enough time to really look into your eyes, it communicates because it's hard to unmask what's going on on the inside through our eyes. Consciously or not, the way we move our eyes, the way we look at someone, blink or make eye contact says a lot about what, you're, what you and I are thinking and what we're feeling. You can find so much of what I'm about to walk through with you uh, research-wise uh, online. Uh, Cornell University has actually, within the last couple years, have really honed in on the importance of looking and what our eyes say about what's going on on the inside. Like, for example, this is probably the one you probably know the most. Uh, When it comes to lying, according to a body language expert and former FBI counterintelligence officer Joe Navarro, if a person's eyes move up and to the right when you ask them a question, they are more likely lying. They've done this, and they've seen this over and over and over. Now, It's important to realize that just because someone looks around doesn't mean they're lying. That could be another way of their processing. So it's not 100%, but it just gives you an indication. What about stress? Do you realize that uh, when someone blinks fast, it's often a signal that they're stressed out? At rest, the normal blink rate ranges between 8 and 21 blinks per minute for a person, which increases almost doubles if someone is actually stressed, or they just have dry eyes and allergies. But, you know, those are different conversations. What about anger and disgust? You know, if you notice somebody narrows their eyes, right? You can see that on the screen behind me. There's something negative response, a distaste to what you're saying. So it's not just the facial features. You can actually see that in their eyes. What about when someone's uncomfortable? They use this body language tactic called eye blocking. You know, eye blocking is when someone covers or hides his or her eyelids following a request that you make, this kind of look at way, and I don't want to talk to you about that because it makes me uncomfortable. Look at their eyes. On the opposite side, happiness is communicated in a number of ways. Like mothers do this naturally with their babies in all cultures. A mom who looks in the eyes of a baby who can't understand words at the time. There's still communication that is happening through happiness, and it's specifically even love. Studies have shown that when you look at an object or person you love, your pupil size grows, sometimes doubles. (laughs) Fear or surprise, right? What about fear or surprise? You know, wide open eyes. The pupils will dilate. The person is frightened or excited due to the natural adrenaline response of the body. But one of my favorite emotions that I have no idea how to describe actually is something called blue steel, you know, uh, from Zoolander. (laughs) I have no idea what it's communicating, but I know it's important, and it's a window to the soul. That was a side note. None of which, none of the things that we just described, uh, do we get through written technology, like emails, texts, social media posts that don't include pictures. How important is the eyes when it comes to communication? So I want you to hang with me for just a second. Our eyes tell us and give us a window to the soul, okay? But on the other side, what our eyes tend to look for and seek is a reflection of our hearts, 
So not only is that eyes of a window to the soul and how we're feeling, but what our eyes are drawn to, what we are looking for, is also the opposite, a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. Have you ever wanted to buy something? A car, a house, an Xbox, a certain article of clothing, you know, something to add to your great hobby or interest? And because it's on your heart, it's not just something that you want, it's on your heart, you start noticing that very thing everywhere. Recently, I've had a couple who are buying a house, you know, on staff, and he was just telling me that all of a sudden, because they're buying, you know, one of their first homes, every time they go into somebody's house, they view the house completely differently now. They're looking like, ooh, I wonder what they did with this, and ooh, I like that, and I don't like that. Why? Because on our hearts, ever tried to buy a car, and then all of a sudden, you see that car everywhere? It's like, oh my gosh, everybody already has this car. We've got to go find a different car. It's always been there the whole time, but it's amazing that your eyes now are drawn to what's already on your heart. What are your eyes drawn to now? Ever thought about that? What do you, what do you find your, your eyes looking towards? What you'll notice, it's a reflection of what's going on inside of your heart. See, the Bible says it this way, Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, what a funny phrase, but I think we understand a little bit more now. Eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope for which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God wired us this way. And he wants our heart to have the eyes that reflect him. Because God knows he created us, and it shapes the world around us. How we view him, how we view others, how we view ourselves is so much shaped by our eyes. How many times have you looked in the mirror and been excited or unhappy with what you see, not just on the outside, but what you know on the inside? Let me give you an example of how this plays out in our hearts through our eyes. Two people face the exact same scenario, exact same issue, stress or struggle, but yet one views it, sees it one way, and the other person, same scenario, same issue, same difficulty, sees it another way. Why is that? 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Our perspective and what we see shapes a reality of our world around us. How do you view the world? What we see, again, is a reflection of our heart, and what is on our heart is proven by what we choose to look at or seek after. Now, I gave all of this background to set up what I believe Jesus wants to talk to us about in his sermon from Matthew chapter 6 as we continue on in this series. In Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says these words, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Now, let me give you some of the why behind the what he is saying. There is a belief in Jesus' day, taught by religious leaders, that if you had financial means, if you had wealth, if you had great treasures, it was proof and evidence that God's hand of blessing was on your life. And so people aspired to get blessings, to, to, to be able to focus on God, and they knew if I love God more, if I'm connected to God more, then I'm going to receive material blessing in my life, proving to other people that God and I have this incredible relationship. It's interesting because we've not moved much past that in some of our circles today. See, there are some pastors and even famous preachers who preach what is called the prosperity gospel. 
See, the prosperity gospel says that God wants to bless you financially, and if you love him and he loves you in this way, you just need to believe, and the more you believe, then he is going to provide for you monetarily. At first, that sounds really good and it sounds right, but then if you just think about it for just a split second, you know there's, there's a lot of this that's not true. For example, I know a lot of very godly men and women who have been blessed by God with great resources and finances. But I also know a lot of men and women who care nothing about God and want nothing to do with God who've also been blessed with finances and treasures. So we can't say it's a direct correlation. Because what Jesus is saying in this passage is this. The greatest financial investments come from how we view how we see money. And what he's saying is, if we see money as a determination of how we find comfort or what we put our hope, our security, or even our identity into, we will invest money primarily for ourselves and for our immediate loved ones. See, if that's how we view money, then that's what we're going to invest in. If that's what I see money as, as security and, and hope and provision, then I'm going to think of it solely from my own means. But God says, can you think beyond that on how you view, how you see finances? See, are you seeing resources from an earthly or eternal perspective? See, when you and I give back to God and prioritize Him for the sake of His kingdom— what Jesus is saying is that you are storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. It has an eternal reward that's, that's for us, that's awaiting for us in heaven. Now, is it bad to have money? No. Is it bad to use money on yourself? No. But how do you view money? How do you view resources? Let me, have the, let me tell you just even this last week how uh, you have viewed and used resources in your own life. Last week was very powerful. It's an incredible weekend as we kind of focused on Orphan Sunday, took a break from our series and looked over the, the orphan issues in our region, area, and around the world. And I want to give you some updates from that. First, our, our partnering organizations, the ones that we had in the lobby and, you know, said that um, it was one of the best responses that they had had in a very, very long time from any church, that they were so thankful that people came up, talked, and wanted to engage and see how they could help with what was going on in our area. Secondly, I know some families have been encouraged to either stay the course in fostering to adopt or to adopt internationally, and there have been a few families reported that they believe that God has now put on their heart to actually go through an adoption process. Third, we've got a bunch of people who expressed interest in going to Uganda on our next international outreach trip, which might be to July of this next year. And lastly, we told you of a partnership need. You know, uh, in Uganda, where he has up to 600 orphans that attend his church on a regular basis, and these widows who, you know, obviously uh, have gone through a lot of suffering on their own, have taken their suffering but used it for the good of others, and they have adopted 5, 10, and as you saw in the video last week, up to 25 kids into little homes. And we told you about the opportunity that 3,000 would actually provide a home for these orphans and these widows. And you got to see one of the six that we've already paid for from last year's Christmas Eve offering. That we spent over $18,000 and provided six homes for some of these orphans who are in the most extreme conditions to be able to help out. And so we mentioned this this last week, knowing that there was 31 more who were in the urgent category that Ronald was presenting. To give you an idea, that'd be $93,000. 
And so we threw it out, not knowing, you know, what God would do, you know, through how you view resources, how you view money. And we were absolutely blown away because after last weekend, and even more is coming in, but as of Thursday evening, 55 houses have been purchased in order to build in Uganda. That's amazing. To give you an idea, you know, for those of you who are not math people, $165,000 in cash came in this last weekend. That's $40,000 more than our entire Christmas Eve offering this last year. Came in just on the hearts of you guys. Why? Why did it happen? You saw a need. God put it on your heart, but it was after you were not only heard the need, but you saw. And so many of you responded. And it's incredible. It's unbelievable what that means for the health, the security, and comfort, and encouragement of these kids. Think about it for just a second. You could have used that money to get more out of debt for some of you. You could have used that money to put more money into retirement or something for the kids. I mean, for goodness sake, it's Christmas time. And here's the time where you're going to be able to like give that extra special to someone that you love and you could have chosen to do that, but you didn't. You chose the kingdom of God. Based on what you saw and your heart responding to it, you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven because you may never meet these people in which you have impacted. And I want to let you know what excites me most is not helping the widows and orphans with their physical needs, although that is obviously important, but helping them in the name of Jesus is what makes all the difference in the world. Having them know that Jesus is taking care of them, that Jesus is with them, and that Jesus wants to spend all eternity with them in a new home and a new house that will never fade away. That's the gospel. Because the poor, we will always have, there's going to always be opportunities that Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and help alleviate poverty. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And if we can help alleviate some poverty along the way, praise the Lord, but do it always in the name of Jesus. See, our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And every time, whether you give to Uganda or whether you give weekly in offering, that you are saying, God, I trust you. I'm putting my heart, the resources that you've entrusted to me, I'm putting that back into your hands, storing up then treasures in heaven. Because why do you do it? It's the way that you view or see resources makes all the difference in the world. See, when you gave to the orphans, you're giving to God. When we give financially each week, you're storing up these treasures. When you give to other causes in the name of Jesus, you're storing up these treasures in heaven, never to be affected by the stock market, who's in office, or how your 401k is doing. It's a retirement plan that returns a thousandfold. It can never be taken away. We can praise God for that. That's all right. <clears throat> So, so how, how do I change my heart, right? If my heart is not for the things of God, if my heart is not kind of aligned to those things, and I kind of struggle, as we all do, with ourselves, how do we do that? And I love that he actually tells us in verse 21. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, it's a fascinating passage because here's the reality for most of our hearts. We give towards things that are on our hearts. Right? So something's on your heart, you and I have a tendency to give to those things. Uh, you love your, your significant others, your friends, your kids, other people in your lives. There's a desire because you love them to be able to give to those people. And that's what part of Christmas is all about. And you have a tendency to give to causes or needs or other people because of what's on your heart. 
But that doesn't change your heart. That's just a reflection of your heart. See, the question is, how do I change my heart towards the things of God? And you missed it if you didn't read it correctly. Because he doesn't say, when your heart is aligned, then begin to give. This is what he says. And you've seen me use this. If you've gone through Rooted, you know, over and over and over, because the best illustration that I can give you. See, here's our heart, and here's our resources. They are tied together, right? And so what Jesus is saying, he goes, here's what's fascinating about this passage. He says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure goes, your heart begins to follow. So process this. Have you ever begun to give to things that you didn't care about that all of a sudden you started to care about because you gave to those things? That's what he's saying that God has wired us with. If you want to change your heart, commit to giving regularly to him and his purposes and watch your heart align with that. That's what he's saying. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. As your treasure goes, your heart then follows, which is what we encourage people to do on a regular basis, to begin to say, okay, where are the resources going? See, how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we see others will determine how we use resources, which is why then Jesus says these words, next verse, not a different passage, very next verse. He says in verse 22, your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. It's almost like, Jesus, I thought you were talking about money. What in the world are you talking about now? Why'd you just kind of go left turn on it? He didn't. See, if you understand Jewish culture, a little why behind the what, an evil eye is a Jewish metaphor for stinginess. So if you have a good eye, you have an eye of generosity. That's what he's referring to. The eye gives light to the body. When eyes are focused on the right things, it gives light to the whole body. What he's saying here is healthy eyes lead to generous lives, where unhealthy eyes lead to greed and scarcity. How do you view resources? Is it a reflection, and is it a window to your soul? See, Jesus finished then with this very, very word, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, those of you who may have read of, you know, by biblical passage before might think of this as to be like, yeah, I've heard that before, but it should shock you. I mean, let's be, think about it. Jesus saying the thing that's going to war for your soul is going to be you're going to have to make a choice between God and money. What? Jesus, you could have chosen any word that's going to war with our soul and you chose money? Why didn't you just say you know, hey, there's going to be a war in your soul, and it's going to be between God and yourself. It'll be between God and idols. I mean, just kind of get more holistic. But he says, the war is going to be between God and money, which is fascinating. It could be that God has a little insight of what money can be and do in our lives. And he's talking to a Jewish audience, not knowing that over 2,000 years later, we would have the same, if not greater, issue in America today. You see, how we view or see money and use money will determine who is really Lord of our lives. Which is why 
A little bit later on, and Ryan's going to talk about this more next week, a few verses later, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some of your translations say, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. You need to understand that word to seek in the Greek literally means to look for, to search with your eyes. See, all of us are blind. We are. We're blinded by our own sinful nature. We're blinded by the desire to serve self. We're blinded by that. All of us are. That's okay. It's not okay. It's staying that way. And what Jesus is providing is an opportunity for our eyes to move from just being focused on what matters to us in our world that's going to affect us directly and say, I want to be about what matters to God. And the good news that he's proclaiming is that this is going to make things better for us. It's fascinating as you actually process this, that every single person, here's what I can guarantee you, every single person who gave to the orphans, who give on a regular basis, you're never going to look back and been like, shouldn't have given there. Why didn't I keep that for myself? Why didn't I put it somewhere else that had a greater investment or higher return? You'll never say that. And that's the good news. It's setting you free. It's helping you realize the priority and what does it mean to put treasures in heaven and what does it mean to war over your soul? And you're like, you know what? I want to do that consistently. I don't need to wait for a special offering. I want to do that every single week and just entrusting myself to God, even when I don't feel like it, because I know it produces good things in my life and the blessings of God do come. But all of us have been blind. It actually reminds me of the story where Jesus literally healed a blind man. And he heals this blind man. He was born blind. 38 years he's been blind. And he gets called before the religious leaders. And the religious leaders say, hey, you need to stop giving credit to Jesus. You need to give credit to God. Give glory to God. Because this Jesus guy, he's a sinner, you know. You can't give glory to a sinner. You need to give glory to, straight to God. And so he's like, ah, I'm not the educated one. I have no idea how to respond to you. But his response is classic and it's perfect for us today. In Luke 9, or John 9, 25, he says this, I don't know. Whether or not Jesus is a sinner, the man replied. But what I do know is this. I was blind, but now I see. Right? I was blind, and now I see. I couldn't see physically before, and now I can see. And the only reason that I can see now when I was blind just yesterday is because of this guy named Jesus. So you guys can decide whether he's a sinner or not. This is the only thing that I know. And what happens in our lives when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, when we begin to make him Lord of our lives, you see the world differently. You see other people differently. You see what his kingdom is about differently. And you begin to put resources and time and talents and treasures, not just in your own life, but the things that matter to the heart of God. And what's fascinating in all that is that you and I get to experience what he calls abundant life. We get to experience what he calls a free life. In him. It changes the way that we see. So as we close, how can you change what you're focused on, what your eyes are set on when it comes to resources? The I, the why behind the what? First Corinthians is probably one of my favorite chapters and passage. In chapter two, verse nine, it says this: No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine, but God has prepared for those love him. Our investment is in things beyond us that affect other people in this world and other people for all eternity. And you and I get a chance to partner with him on a regular basis 
through gifts and offerings, through extra circumstances like this orphan issue that's taking place in Uganda and other things that are going to come up through the Christmas Eve. And it's okay to give to family. It's okay, you know, to celebrate even onto yourselves. That's totally fine. But what we need to remember is to seek first his kingdom. For some of you, that just means receiving him and saying, Jesus, you paid it all so that I could see. And when you pray that prayer, when you come back to him, you view the world differently. The world doesn't understand, but you do because he has taken the scales off of your eyes to see and respond differently. What will be your next step? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for putting these things on our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would just guide us in the decisions that will be made even now. Father, whether that be just putting you first back in resources, just because of how that affects our heart. Even if we don't feel like it, Lord, that we will know that our heart will follow. Father, maybe it's in special opportunities, or maybe more importantly, Father, it's just seeking first your kingdom, allowing our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to be open to the things of you. And if people are here today, Lord, who've never received you, may they pray this simple prayer. And if that's you, I just ask you to pray this very simple prayer right to God from your heart. Just pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, for those who prayed that prayer in this day, may the eyes of their heart be opened to the things of you from this point forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.